Hello, everyone, and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about my journey through the world of cinema. I am your host, Patrick, and you can follow along with me and my movie watching on my Letterboxd account. My name on there is Long Monkey, and you can check out my weird fiction and other projects on my website, proleary.com. That's P-R-O-Leary.com. In this podcast, I talk about movies, and each episode I do a little dive into a small segment of cinema, sometimes with the help of a special guest, but not today, though. Today, it is just me, but I do have a very interesting topic to talk about. First, though, let's go over some other movies I watched since last episode. And we're starting off with a big one, folks. The first one on my list that I watched is Cats from 2019, directed by Tom Hooper. I know there's a lot of talk on the internet about this one and how horrible it supposedly is and how weird and disturbing the character design is for this film. I have to say that everybody is right. Uh, I don't have a hot take here. This movie is very bad, but I, I do believe that the fault in the movie starts much earlier in the process than when Tom Hooper got a hold of it. I think the fault in the movie starts with the musical itself. I'm not a musical guy. I'm not familiar with the Broadway show, but the story of this movie is basically the story of the of what was presented in the Broadway musical, and there is no story. It is just a s- series of strange set pieces about different cats in this weird universe. And there's no sort of central character that helps you latch on to what's going on. There's a basic framework of, there's this group of cats called Jellicle Cats. No idea what a Jellicle Cat is because the song about the Jellicle Cats is very uh, vague. But whatever the case, every year they choose one of these cats to go up into cat heaven and learn all the secrets of the cats. And it's a great, great sort of uh, honor. And to do that, you have to have a performance that shows your true self. And we get to see a bunch of cats doing these performances and some cats trying to mess with other cats and stop them from doing these performances and things like that. Man, I'm talking too much about cats. Let's just say that the musical itself is not great. The music is kind of forgettable. The lyrics don't make a lot of sense. There's maybe two songs that are kind of catchy, but uh, nothing that I've really enjoyed. And the movie takes that concept and just makes every wrong decision. The weird character design, the weird dumb humor that they insert into the movie, the keeping the idea of not having a central character or a central plot to kind of make you familiar what's going on. You just get dropped into this world and then you have to just deal with it. And uh, yeah, not recommended, not even for a lark, but uh, you know, maybe you'll have some fun if you watch it. That was Cats. So jumping from Cats to the complete opposite spectrum, I wanted to talk about The Guilty from 2018, directed by Gustav Moller. It is a Dutch film about a police officer who is uh, demoted to being a dispatcher at like the 911 number for that country. And he 
there's some dark history that he has, but that's not really touched upon at the beginning of the movie. And he gets a call uh, from a woman who is claiming to be kidnapped by somebody and she's trapped in a car. And it's just him on the phone trying to deal with this situation, trying to get the police to find her, trying to deal with other emergency personnel and trying to kind of figure out who she is and where she is and who might have taken her. And it's just a man in a room sort of movie. And you think that would have the great ingredients to just be a cool thriller. And you would be right. It does have those great ingredients. But it also, there there's a lot more going on that I really can't talk about. But I was just pleasantly surprised how much depth the story had and the character development had. And it was really satisfying. It ended on a really... Really a nice note. Um, I do really like this movie, and I definitely recommend it. The Guilty. Uh, Let's see here. After The Guilty, uh, this is a fun one. I watched Love on Delivery, Stephen Chow, directed and starring Stephen Chow. So I don't know um, how many people out there are Stephen Chow fans. He's very popular with Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer recently but he's been making movies since like probably the 80s but he did a lot in the 90s that i kind of really appreciate his movies are full of uh sort of like surreal humor and wacky almost cartoonish antics even before cgi his movies did all that i really like his 90s movies because of that that charming pre-cgi sort of uh atmosphere that he had to work with and Love on Delivery is, you know, the story's not that important. He, play, he plays this, like, love-struck delivery boy who um, is trying to win over the girl of his dreams. Uh, and he's vying for her, her affections with this really popular and uh, sort of a jerk kung fu instructor. And he's doing all sorts of crazy things, including trying to learn martial arts from some uh, shuckster at the, at the local uh, convenience stand. And it's a, you know, there's a lot of crazy fun humor in this one. If you're a fan of Stephen Chow, especially his early stuff, I would check it out. But if you haven't checked out Stephen Chow's early stuff at all, and you've just seen Kung Fu Hustle, definitely give this a shot or give um, Once Upon a Time in Beijing or God of Cookery a shot. There, there's a lot of fun older Stephen Chow movies out there. After that, I watched the movie called Run from 2020. This is a new one directed by Anish Chiganti, who directed Searching, which I really liked. So this is a story of a teenager who is sort of housebound, homeschooled, confined to a wheelchair because of an array of diseases that she has. And she's at that point in her life where she is applying to colleges and looking forward to leaving her house. But she has a very uh, doting mother who takes very good care of her until she realizes that her mother might be not be telling her the truth and there might be more to her health situation and her living situation than she realizes. So this is a great... Uh, lots of ingredients for a great suspense movie. And the movie knows that and it goes right into the suspense mode and i think that's the problem with it 
I was not a huge fan of this because it transitioned from the relationship of uh, a very good relationship between the mother and daughter to like instant suspicion in the first five minutes of the movie. And I think that it gave the story a disservice to jump into the suspense so quickly and focus on that without developing the characters or anything. There's a good movie in there somewhere, but the structure is off. Even the suspense scenes were so constructed in such an obvious way that it felt forced. There are, I don't know, maybe six or seven suspense sequences in a row, and that's like the entire movie. And some of them... I was watching it thinking, you know, you know, this doesn't have to be a suspenseful scene. It's just suspenseful because the character is making it suspenseful. And the writers are writing it in that way to make it suspenseful. And it doesn't feel natural. And I, I think it would have been a much better movie if it took out two or three of those scenes and kind of extended that opening act to be longer than a few minutes where you could see the degradation of that trust and the paranoia start to creep in between these characters. I would have really liked that. And this movie doesn't do it. Yeah, so the performances are really good and the some of the, of the suspense scenes really work, but overall I was disappointed. So that was Run from 2020. So that is it for the movies I watched that are not part of the dive I did for this week. So... Let's get into that topic. The mini dive I did for this week was on Joseph von Sternberg and Marlene Dietrich. I watched a few movies by the duo from the 30s. I was unfamiliar with them at all. I have never seen movies by either of them, which is surprising, but, you know, have my blind spots. That's why I'm doing this podcast. So uh, they're both from Germany. They made the Blue Angel together. And then came over, Joseph von Sternberg came over to Hollywood. And then, I guess, from what I've read at various places, he was sort of tasked with finding one of those screen starlets. And he knew Marlene Dietrich from working together and said, this, this woman's going to be perfect. Brought her over to America. And they had a very fruitful career making another six movies together. So they made seven movies together overall. Starting with The Blue Angel. So that's the one I'm going to talk about. I didn't watch all of them, but I did watch The Blue Angel. And The Blue Angel is in German in 1930. And it's about this professor, very prim, proper, stern professor, played by Emil Jannings. He won an Oscar for this, I believe, which is really cool because he was a great performance. Prim, proper professor. Um, he has this the students that are going to this nightclub called the Blue Angel. So he goes there to investigate and try to catch them in the act. And through comic misadventures of the first half of the movie, he falls in love with one of the performers, Marlene Dietrich, as the uh, sort of like a cabaret singer who scantily clad cabaret singer. And um, it's a it's definitely a mismatch. But they fall in love, and he marries her. And this is a match that is doomed to failure. And the first half of the movie is very light until they get married, and it's, it moves fast, it's very funny, and it's very, 
it's 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 happy and there's a wonderful song that Marlene Dietrich sings that is very it's very beautiful it's the um falling in love again number and that kind of bookends the the or not bookends but that kind of puts a pin into the first act where they fall in love they get married uh and then we get this sort of compressed time sequence of events that shows the next couple years of their relationship as it slowly degrades and degrades he has to lose his job at the uh college he works at because marrying a cabaret singer is just not a good image and this is 1930 and that is just uncalled for and he loses his job he travels with this cabaret show and becomes more and more of a drunk and she becomes more and more sort of like disillusioned with their relationship and it's just not going well and it all culminates many years later where he has to have a return show at his hometown and the person who runs the the uh, cabaret bit, sees the money-making opportunity to bring this professor back on stage and he does so in a very humiliating performance where this guy is just oh it's so heart-rending how humiliated he is doing this performance and the movie built up to it so well where you kind of get put into a high note and then it dives down slowly and slowly and just gets more and more depressing and it's just heart-wrenching at the end especially when that song comes up again um the one that marlene dietrich sings when they fall in love and then she sings it again at the end and then there's an epilogue that is just it's devastating so the blue angel is a it's a great movie and i can see von sternberg has a way with pacing and a way with uh i guess showing marlene dietrich in in camera the way he dresses her the way he lights her he he knows how to use uh her talents and her voice and her looks and he worked really well with emil jannings as the professor the other cool thing he does is the production design was really good. It was very German expressionist, like those, uh, like Faust from the the the, uh, the silent film from the twenties. It's it's very much like these tilted, angled, almost painted looking buildings, and it's a yeah, it's a very it's a very good movie. I really like the Blue Angel. So after the Blue Angel. Um, I don't know if this is their first American movie. I'm pretty sure it was. But the other movie I watched was called Morocco from 1930. So Morocco has Marlene Dietrich as a sort of a a woman who, again, is like a cabaret singer sort of character who winds up in Morocco trying to escape her past. And she falls for a French legionnaire who is kind of just there joining the army just to escape his past as well and they bond over their like damaged histories and they fall in love only as 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 quickly as people do only in the movies you know after one night uh where she's singing and this is the movie where she does that famous like uh in the men's suit top hat number after that number 
they kind of get together and fall in love and they're going to, they're willing to, you know, give it a shot and uh, be together, even though they're both damaged people and they know it may not work. But there's also a rich, rich artist that lives in Morocco or traveling through Morocco. And he offers his hand to Marlene Dietrich's character and she, and she declines. She doesn't want him. She wants uh, Gary Cooper, who's the legionnaire. But Gary Cooper says no. Uh, he sees he sees the almost in a Casablanca moment. He sees like he sees what her life would be with this guy, how rich he actually is, and how good her life would be. So he says to her that he's changed his mind. He doesn't want to get married, and he goes off to war without her. And she marries this guy, and. The years that pass and their paths cross again. And then she writ that he has always loved her and she has always loved him. And they realize that in this moment, and I won't kind of explain how that happens, but it's, it's a very subtle, almost suspenseful moment where you're just hoping that they'll both realize that they, they both care for each other. And they do. And unfortunately, though, he has to go out to war again, and she makes the decision to she has to make the decision to you know keep her life or to follow him, and that's that's where the movie ends. Uh, I won't give too much more away, but it's a it's a powerful ending. Again, Sternberg makes this movie uh, the pace it just paced really well, and again, he knows how to film Dietrich. She's really good. At what she does in German and English, she's got she's got a, just a very powerful presence and a very almost in-your-face attitude when it comes to how she uses her body and how she presents herself. And Sternberg got that, and I think that's why they're such a good pair. So after uh, that one, Shanghai Express is next on my list. I'm not sure if. What else came in between those movies? But this one's from 1932. Shanghai Express is the story of Shanghai Lily, who's played by Marlene Dietrich, and she is traveling on a train to Shanghai through this Civil War-torn area of China. And she's traveling with a whole bunch of other characters, including the first performance I've seen of Anime Wong, the first Asian star of Hollywood. And there's a bunch of other characters on this train, and it's very funny how they're all introduced. It's very lively, and you get to kind of see them all at the train station doing their thing and get in boarding this train. You got the rich, you know, the rich old woman, and you got the... the uh, the handsome debonair army doctor and you got a whole bunch of other characters that you know are just going to have fun interactions on this trip and they do um shanghai lily is known as a what they called a oh i forgot what the term they they called her but it was for a woman who makes her living uh basically having men fall in love with fall in love with her and it's not the greatest reputation, but she's very famous for doing this all over China. Um, but it turns out that one of the people on this train, uh, the doctor played by Clive Brook, uh, actually was in love with her and had a relationship five years ago. 
and now they're meeting again for the first time. And again, you kind of sense a theme. They, just like Morocco, it's obvious they both have feelings for each other, but due to the circumstances of how things have happened and how they they departed each other previously, it's not obvious to each of them that they still have feelings to each other for each other. To complicate matters, uh, the train gets hijacked in the middle of this civil war, and there there's a lot of suspense as to like who is going to survive this this uh, this hijacking and who, and who's going to be taken hostage and what's going to happen. And through that, um, their I guess their their allegiances are tested. And it's uh, you don't know exactly what's going to happen with their relationship. And I won't spoil more than that, but at the end, there's a... It's, it's, it's another one of those powerful moments. Not as good as Morocco, but it's a, it's a moment that kind of brings everything together and wraps up nicely through a third character that kind of was witnessing these events. So again, uh, this one has great sort of Another great performance by Dietrich. A lot of great supporting performances in this one. Some real suspense and a great setting. I mean, this chain, this train. I don't know if they filmed in actual in China, but it looks like they they uh, they had a real train going through Shanghai. So I don't I don't know the details, but it's definitely a, a solid solid romantic suspense film. Lastly, on my little dive through Dietrich and Sternberg. I watched The Scarlet Empress Empress from 1934. The Scarlet Empress is a story, it's a biopic about Catherine the Great. This is complete opposite of the previous films where Dietrich plays like this temptress, seductress, sort of powerful woman, um, powerful independent woman. And in this one, she plays Catherine the Great from before she was Catherine the Great. This is like the rise to her power. So she starts off as this kind of like scared, mousy little princess who is swept up into this marriage to the you know the king of Russia, and she has to travel through uh, weeks to get to Russia with this entourage. Um, the very attractive and debonair army uh, general who is traveling with them, John Lodge, is falls in love with her again as quickly as people do in the movies and then when she winds up in russia things are not as she expected her husband to be played by sam jaffe in a very fun performance is like this dim-witted kind of uh i don't know he's like a weird weird weirdo that you only get from inbreeding through uh, generations of a royal family and he is um yeah, you know, it's just a side note. Sam Jaffe, I've only seen him, I think, in a few movies, but he is quickly becoming one of my uh, fun favorite actors to see on screen. I, Asphalt Jungle was my favorite part of that movie. Actually, in the Asphalt Jungle has a lot of favorite parts for me. That's just a really good movie. But Sam Jaffe uh, was fun in this one. Anyway, so Marlene Dietrich uh, has to marry this guy, and he doesn't like her at all and then she's forced to try to have a son to continue the royal line 
And the this whole thing is orchestrated by the, the queen, uh, Sam Jaffe's mother. And she is very controlling. And there's a lot of like political intrigue going on back and forth around uh, around Catherine's arrival. And the film kind of uh, dwells in that area for, for most of it until circumstances arise that the queen is dying and the prince, Sam Jaffe, is going to take over, take over and remove Catherine from uh, the palace in a very unromantic way so that he could be with his true love. But the problem is that Marlene Dietrich needs to has has sort of developed her character into again the seductress from the previous movies. So she has gotten she's getting all of the other people on her side via what she's good at, you know, using her her feminine wiles to 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 make alliances and get men under her control. So the climax has to deal with her using her powers to go against her husband. And that climax takes place maybe 90 minutes into the movie, and it's way too much of the former and not enough of the latter. And I really think that this movie... It was my least favorite of the four, but it really does have great production design and great... I mean, the, the Sternberg knows how to compose some shots, and these locations and sets were incredible. Their doors were like 400 feet high on these castles. I'm exaggerating, but they were they were huge. They needed like 10 people to open the doors, and uh, the the chairs around the tables and and uh, meeting rooms or had these like creepy gothic skeleton corpse things growing out of the back of them. There's this one shot of a banquet table that goes on and on where it just pans over this banquet table for maybe a minute. And you can see all this incredibly gross-looking foods and uh, tableware, and there's a human skeleton at some point. It's just very gothic and very different and weird. And that was super cool. I just... And it was it was cool to see, uh, see Marlene Dietrich have some range and not just be the seductress. And it was cool to see Sternberg have some range and not just make these like almost like femme fatale type movies, even though this kind of was a femme fatale movie. But it was definitely a bigger epic period piece. It just, there wasn't much going on in that first 90 minutes of the movie. And it, it, unfortunately, it has a lot of great ingredients, but it just didn't add up to much for me. But I still really enjoyed it. And I really did enjoy watching these four movies. Um, there are three more I have not seen, so I'll get to those eventually. But this was a good dive. I really enjoyed um, just seeing Marlene Dietrich on screen and just watching her, like, you know, smoke up the, the, the celluloid. It was super cool. And Sternberg turned out to be a really good director, good pacing, good humor. For 1930s, this is, uh, you know, these are fun movies. So, as always, I like to end these episodes with a uncommon film recommendation. 
So in honor of the 1930s pre-code aesthetic, I'm going to recommend a movie called Red-Headed Woman, directed by Jack Conway, starring Gene Harlow. And Gene Harlow, sort of a contemporary of Marlene Dietrich's. And this one is about a woman, played by Gene Harlow, named Red, because she's flaming red hair, who works at this uh, sort of 1930s office, you know, with his giant giant companies and she gets involved with a whole bunch of men and has affairs and sort of uh ruins people's lives in her in an effort to just kind of get what she wants and it's a very it's a very fun movie she is very good and it's definitely pre-code it's got a lot of uh sultry stuff in it for 1932 so that is definitely recommended that is red-headed woman So that's it for this episode. Stay tuned for next episode, where a special guest has chosen a fun topic for me to dive into. We will be discussing neo-noir films, the movies that take the film noir tropes and kind of modernize them or apply them to other genres and settings. Should be a really fun discussion. In the meantime, you can follow along with my movie watching on my Letterboxd account under Long Monkey, and you can check out my weird horror fiction at proleary.com that's proleary.com so i will see you next time good night and sweet dreams